The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Well, once again, welcome to another edition of Cool Stuff Ride Home. I'm Marcus Paffy's Reggie Rizou. On today's episode, is music the key to better brain health later in life? A woman survives trash compaction. Yes, you did hear that correctly. We look back on the first Groundhog Day and on this day in history, the details of the Abscam scandal released to the public. You don't know what that is? Stick around. It's coming up. Cool Stuff Ride Home. Well, singing or playing a musical instrument brings some obvious rewards, joy, fun, the ability to express oneself, and of course, the simple satisfaction derived from improving proficiency. But now, scientists involved in the PROTECT study, an online research initiative based in the UK for individuals aged 40 and above, dove into data from more than a thousand adults with the intention of examining the impact of playing a musical instrument or singing on brain health. The general conclusion was this, beyond the emotional benefits, being musically inclined also enhanced memory and improved cognitive speed, all published in the International Journal of Geriatric Psychiatry. Now, for some background, the PROTECT study has been running for 10 years with over 25,000 participants. As stated on its website, its goal is to understand how healthy brains age and why people develop dementia. Those studied for this project saw their musical experiences, lifetime exposure to music, and cognitive test results analyzed to determine whether musicality helps keep the brain sharp later in life. And as mentioned, their findings indicate that playing an instrument, particularly the piano, is linked to improved memory, and the ability to solve complex tasks. Per Ann Corbett, a professor of dementia research at the University of Exeter and part of the research team on this study, quote, a number of studies have looked at the effect of music on brain health. Our PROTECT study has given us a unique opportunity to explore the relationship between cognitive performance and music in a large cohort of older adults. Overall, we think that being musical could be a way of harnessing the brain's agility and resilience known as cognitive reserve, end quote. She went on to note that while more research is needed, the findings indicate that promoting musical education would be a valuable part of public health initiatives to promote a protective lifestyle for brain health. This in addition to encouraging older adults to return to music later in life. There's already considerable evidence for the benefit of group music activities for individuals with dementia, and this approach could be extended as part of a healthy aging package for older adults to enable them to proactively reduce their risk and promote brain health. So by taking up or returning to music, they are empowered to actively mitigate risks and foster brain health. Reggie, the first thing that comes to mind to me is this. You know, we often hear stories about the arts being cut out of publicly funded packaging uh, or, or education in certain areas in favor of, of course, math and science, which uh, are, are obviously important. But people that argue on behalf of the arts, this might be another arrow in their quiver to say, look, people who are engaged in things like music, of course, in this case, uh, it, it comes with its benefits in addition to just the appreciation that we all have and the benefits, the emotional benefits that we talked about 
at the outset of this story, it can legitimately be something that helps preserve your brain's cognitive function for years and years to come. I'm a big believer of anything to keep your brain active is good. And I've always seen music almost as like another language. I mean, you have to be able to read music. That's not, you know, it's not written in English. It's written kind of in another language. And you have to be able to, I guess, express that in not your normal English speaking way. It's through, you know, either an instrument, you know, something along those lines that I feel like music is a great way to activate your brain in ways that you normally wouldn't. And that just, of course, would increase brain function. I mean, think of how many times they say when a baby is in the womb or something, play music, it stimulates it. Yeah. To me, it all makes sense that, yes, this is another way to stimulate your brain. I mean, I do like a Sudoku every morning to try to get my brain rolling or, you know, people do crossword puzzles, things to keep you going. Yep. Music is another way to do this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, interesting, though, that singing is is right up there as well, because in that case, you're not necessarily reading music. But there's something about that process that also lends itself to uh, continued brain health or long lasting brain health. There is a little bit of reading music in there. I mean, you can't just sing in the same tone. You have to be able to know to fluctuate your voice in different well, ways. Well, I, I guess different pitches, I, what so. I would like to know, though, is is it professional singing that we're talking about? Are we are we saying, uh, you know, and this is something uh, just behind the curtain. My My wife has a background in this and has sang in professional settings, me, uh, if I'm singing in the shower, does that help? Because no, my inflection is not going to be based on reading music. It's just going to be me going to town and probably sounding awful. Does that help too? I don't know. I think the professional setting is probably better, but I mean, if you try to keep, you know, tone and pitch with the actual song, you're still using your brain in some way. You're not just singing it, you know, flat. You're trying to mimic the music you've heard. So there is some of that you know, switching up, you know, actually singing and, you know, just not your normal talking voice. Perhaps more research is needed. <laughs> more singing in the shower. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Well, this next story had a chance to be very uncool, but as it stands, it's worthy of this show. In New Hampshire, a woman fell into a dumpster while throwing out her garbage. I don't know how that happens, but it did. And later, she had to be rescued from a trash truck that had emptied the contents of said dumpster and compacted them while she was inside. Per the AP report, neighbors apparently heard the woman's screams and the truck's trash compartment was equipped with a camera, which allowed the driver to eventually spot the woman stuck inside, but only after he'd compacted the garbage up to four times. That per a release from the Manchester Fire Department. Once he'd realized what happened, the driver called 911 and a rescue team used a basket ladder to reach the top of the truck and lift the woman out. By then, she was standing, talking, yelling. This, again, is according to the news release. But she was not alert enough to answer questions. Well, I'm going to guess you're in shock after that type of an experience. The woman was taken to a hospital, and her name was not released. But she's alive. That's that's the important and the crazy thing here. Uh, Battalion Chief Bob Badeau told WMUR-TV, quote, In 32 years, I've never seen anything like this my whole career. 
it's alarming because you don't really think it's true, end quote. Uh, yeah, I, and, and I go back to the question, which was not detailed in the story. How do you fall into the dumpster while throwing out your trash? Don't you typically just lob it up over the top and move on with your day? Um, something just doesn't add up in my head here. I'm sure there's an explanation for it, but I'd like to have more information. Well, if she wasn't tall enough to be able to reach over, she might have a stool or something that she climbs up to get in and has to lean over and in that process. But to the point in. that you're leaning more than half your body in to where gravity would do that work to you? I mean, even if you get up there to where your chest is equivalent or, or even with the front of the dumpster, you can lob the trash bag in. I mean, most people are capable of throwing it up in the air too and just having it come down inside like i'm trying to be sympathetic here and find a reason why it would happen because the only time i've seen this happen is in movies where somebody's hiding in the trash can yes and then the trash compactor comes yes yep uh, and i can't imagine being in there and my last thought would probably be thinking this is how i die yeah this is gonna hurt luckily she's alive and if i were her i would also probably be standing talking and yelling when i get out of there <laughs> it might be a lot of curse words and that's all that you can get out of me at that point but exactly uh, all's well that ends well though so happy uh, happy to see a good ending here well my kids have always been fascinated with groundhog day so let's take a look at its history because you know today is groundhog day Naturally, one of the first one was on February 2nd. That makes sense. It was in the year 1887. It took place in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania at Gobbler's Knob, which I'm assuming we're all familiar with at this point, especially if you're a fan of the film Groundhog Day. But the tradition can actually trace its roots back a little bit further to Europe. It started with Candlemas Day, a Christian holiday and where people would take their candles to the church so they could be blessed. When Candlemas was reduced in Germany, they introduced an animal but not the one you're thinking of. Instead, they used a hedgehog. And if it saw its shadow on Candlemas Day, there would be a second winter or six more weeks of winter. When the Germans settled in the US, they wanted to keep the tradition going, but there weren't hedgehogs around for them to use. So they used, if you guess groundhog, you're wrong. They used a woodchuck, which is similar to a groundhog, except for it has slightly longer claws, a little bit smaller in size, and the woodchuck is found throughout North America versus the groundhog is just mostly in the eastern and central parts mm. of North America. Easy to confuse, though. The first known reference of Candlemas using a woodchuck was on February 4th, 1841 in Morgantown. It wasn't until 1886 when a Punxsutawney newspaper editor, Clymer Fries, convinced the Punxsutawney Groundhog Club on the idea. By the way, that club is a group of businessmen and groundhog hunters. I'm not sure how that combines, but that's what they are. The Punxsutawney Groundhog Club. Yes, there's actually a website. I'll have the link to that uh, available on the show notes you know, as well. That says to me there was a time in this world before smartphones and technology where there just wasn't <laughs> a lot going on and you really had to get creative to find social clubs and things to get excited about. We're a group of businessmen and we like to hunt groundhogs. Sure hey, you do. welcome to the Punxsutawney Groundhog sure Club. You do. Come on in. We're all like minded here. <laughs> Now, 1886 was the first time the idea appeared in the paper, but the following year, that's when they had their first track to Gobbler's Knob to uh, announce the whole findings from Punxsutawney name. Phil. Gobbler's Knob, too. <laughs> just, uh, man, in Punxsutawney, the, uh, the names in this story are just fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Now, if you're curious, Phil has seen a shadow 84% of the time, but depending on where you are, I mean, obviously different parts of the country, 
would consider winter over versus not winter over. But overall, they say he's been accurate about 39% of the time. By the way, I do realize it isn't the same groundhog. Uh, Phil's not the same one that's been around for the 138 years here. Uh, Groundhog's average lifespan is only 68 years in the wild, up to 14 years in captivity. Oh, and if you didn't hear the prediction from earlier today, Phil says early spring. Well, there's a 39% chance he's correct in that, sounds like. so. (laughs) I predict, I'm going to steal this from a movie, I predict March 21st. You're just reciting Groundhog Day now, are you? I am. I am. <laughs> Think it's going to be an early spring? I'm thinking March 21st. <laughs> hey, I'm down for any kind of Bill Murray humor, so lay it on me. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items tie it up and drop it in with your regular recycling that's it it's that easy it's time to rethink recycling with renew particular valued resources may vary by geography more info available at hashtagrenew.com taking a look at this day in history it was february 2nd 1980 when the details of abscam were released to the public if you're unfamiliar with abscam the abscam operation conducted by the federal bureau of investigation or fbi took place from 1978 to 1980 It was an undercover criminal investigation primarily targeting U.S. elected officials. The investigation faced criticism for its methods, with some viewing them as excessive and possible entrapment. Either way, it led to convictions of a U.S. senator, six U.S. representatives, and numerous local officials on bribery and corruption charges. As I said, Abscan started in February of 1978 when the FBI enlisted the help of Melvin Weinberg, a con artist and former bureau informant, to recover stolen paintings. Weinberg, facing a three-year prison term for fraudulent real estate scheme, had his sentence reduced to probation in exchange for aiding the FBI. He received a monthly stipend to generate leads in white-collar crime cases, which, by the way, I'm almost 100% sure that the TV show White Collar came up this premise based on this whole story. (laughs) Fair enough. Now, when it came to Abscam, it was initially a modest investigation, but that expanded significantly. In July of 1978, Weinberg, posing as a U.S. representative for the fictitious company Abdul Enterprises, hence the name where they got Abscam, Ab from Abdul. Uh, The scheme involved inventing a fictitious Arab sheik Kabir Abdul Rahman, with FBI agents assuming roles within as his associates. The investigation involved a growing network of middlemen, fraudsters, and white-collar criminals. Things changed, though, in December of 1978, when Weinberg met Angelo Arichetti, the mayor of Camden, New Jersey, and a state senator. Arichetti offered a guarantee to have a casino gaming license for Abdul Enterprises in exchange for $400,000, and provided a list of other politicians susceptible to bribes. After that meeting, that is when Abscam shifted its focus to political corruption, leading to videotape meetings with politicians, primarily from the Northeast. Prominent figures like U.S. Representatives Raymond Letterer and Michael Myers of Pennsylvania promised favors in exchange for cash. Senator Harrison Williams Jr. of New Jersey offered assistance in return for the promise of a multi-million dollar investment, in a titanium mine in which Williams had an undisclosed financial interest. Subsequent trials resulted in 19 convictions on charges including bribery, extortion, and conspiracy. The Senate Select Committee on Ethics deemed Senator Williams' conduct ethically repugnant, 
leading to his resignation before an expulsion vote. Of the six convicted representatives, two resigned, three were defeated in re-election bids, and one, Myers, was expelled from the House. When the dust settled, Attorney General Benjamin Civiletti issued stricter guidelines for FBI undercover operations in January 1981, and then the House conducted hearings on FBI undercover activities. So not only did the abscam operation lead to convictions of several politicians, it also left a lasting impact on both law enforcement practices and the scrutiny of undercover operations by the U.S. government. Well, I find this fascinating because I'd never heard of this scandal. Uh, it, it predates my time on this earth, but it nonetheless, it sounds like a, a fairly big deal in the in the scheme of things with this many people going down and to have never heard of it is a little bit stunning to me. Yeah, it's happened around my time of birth. So, I mean, it was probably big news at the time, but you know how the news cycle goes by a few years. There's another big scandal that we're all paying attention to. No, that's for so, sure. But, but it's like you hear about Watergate, and I know that's bigger because you're talking about a U.S. president, sitting U.S. president at that point. But this is uh, seems sounds fairly expansive. Yeah, there are times I wonder, what did I learn in my history class in high school? <laughs> well, it could be you just weren't paying attention. <laughs> it could be. That's very likely. <laughs> That'll wrap up another edition of Cool Stuff Ride Home. I'm Reggie Rizzo. He's Marcus Path. Uh, feel free to shoot us an email at coolstuffcommute at gmail.com with any of your thoughts, questions, comments, anything you want to send us, well, within reason. Uh, what are you soliciting here, Reggie? What are you soliciting? I get lonely. I get lonely on the weekends. Send us anything. Uh, not me. Keep that to Reggie. <laughs> fan mail you know anything <laughs> we have to have a fan somewhere out there right send us anything <laughs> all, right. all right i hope you have a good weekend we'll be back on monday with another edition of cool stuff right home